0: Hello, Lawn Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Lawn Cook Thoughts Podcast. Very excited for my guest this week. Her name is Maricel Salazar. She's a bilingual, Panamanian-born, New York City-based food writer and cook, and she writes for publications such as The Michelin Guide, Zagat, Vine Pear, Thrillist, and PureWow. And she's the creator of the guide's popular column, Eating Off-Duty, What Celebrated Chefs Eat Outside of Their Kitchens. Her goal is to celebrate POC and minorities in the kitchen through the lens of food and cooking. In front of the camera, she's the host of the United States of Spirits on Spirits Network, and driven to dine on MSG networks. Her feature on GoDaddy's School of Hustle is one of the most viewed and highest rated episodes, getting 120,000 plus views. She also runs the brand communications agency, Do West, working with brands amongst the food and beverage, hospitality, wellness, and travel industries, and much more. She's currently co-authoring the cookbook with a celebrity chef and working on a show about how the coronavirus is affecting restaurants as the host and co-executive producer of this show. She just shot the pilot episode, And she's actively speaking with networks and channels for distribution, and she would love to spread the word and share more about this. You can follow her on Instagram at Maricel M. Salazar and on Twitter at Maricel Salazar. Very excited to share this interview with you. We talk a lot about the industry, the state of the industry, and from Maricel's perspective, someone who's in food media, but also someone who has really been a voice for the voiceless and really trying to um, highlight People of color minorities in the kitchen. Um, I think this is a very important conversation to have. Uh, we talk about like you know everything from the Michelin Guide and what meaning they have right now during a pandemic, um, to why it's important for chefs to brand themselves and market themselves, especially now when customers are or guests are at home and they're ordering through these apps and they're only really like ordering their brand name chefs or the brand name restaurants that they you know frequent. Right now, I think it's very tough for people to try new places, especially when the, you know there's a lot of trust involved now, especially with dining and delivery and everything else going on. Um, so I think it's very important to market yourself in that way. And we chat about that a lot. Uh, a lot of great conversations in here. Anyone interested in just building brand um, and learning from someone who's been able to really diversify her um, I guess, her, her career and go into food writing and also uh, a business of consulting and helping other people in the industry and also producing on TV shows and whatnot. I mean, I, it's really fascinating what Marisol does. I'm very impressed with her work and I'm very excited for you to hear this conversation. So thank you, Marisol, so much for coming on the show. I hope you all enjoy it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. But here we go. and welcome to the podcast how are you doing
1: hey ray how's it going man it's a wham bam thank you ma'am kind of day
0: (laughs) yeah i can imagine um thank you so much for doing this i know we have a lot to discuss so if you just wanted to start out by introducing yourself and you know giving us like the the three minute origin story on where you're from and kind of what food was like and why you got into the industry
1: yeah, that sounds great. Hey folks, good folks of Line Cook Sauce. Um, thanks so much, Ray, for having me on. It's a really big honor. I love following you and I really love your tweets. They always make me chuckle. I um I'm actually so it's interesting to say the three the three minute elevator pitch, which is actually a really long elevator ride, <laughs> of who I am and what I do. So working backwards, most folks know me as a columnist for the Michelin Guide and Zagat, amongst other great publications like Vine Pear, Tasting Table, Thrillist. Uh, some folks may know me from my on-camera television work. I'm the host of United States of Spirits on Spirits Network and a new series that I just shot on MSG Network. Um, with my co-host, Jeremy Jakobowicz of Brunch Boys. It's called Driven to Dine. It was actually supposed to air this March. The first episode was supposed to come out the day that restaurants closed in New York City. So we're actually waiting for the new publishing date. Uh, hopefully later this fall, things will start looking up and then you will see me chatting with some professional NBA players all around New York City, dining at some of the, the coolest spots. Um, right now what I'm focusing on is um, another series that I'm shooting the pilot for this weekend and it's on um, restaurants who've been impacted like we all have by the novel coronavirus but it takes a particular detailed look at the specific pain points that restaurants face as well as some potential solutions that the chefs or restaurant owners themselves are offering up and I'm so excited about it, right? It's it's gonna be very emotional but also inspirational and positive. And we have this amazing lineup of chefs who have already committed to be in this first episode and then the subsequent episodes and we're talking to a bunch of different networks about where it's going to be distributed. We are just, you know, we wanna find the right one. So we're we're really happy about taking, you know, these distribution meetings and finding the best platform for this.
0: Yeah. I mean, first off, you know, sorry to hear about the stuff in March, but, you know, seeing you kind of, you know, I, we talked about it, but pivot um, and kind of work with everything going on. Um, I think it's very interesting and I'm very excited to see, you know, what you come up with and kind of how you take your media and your platform moving forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it really, it really did make me think that the show being, I don't want to say that the show from March with MSG Networks was canceled. I like to say it's just on pause right now until it's it's better days for it to be to be aired but it really did make me think about turning pain into purpose and how do I do that and coronavirus really affected my the entirety of my coverage and who I covered and what I covered because I'm known as, you know, a fine dining food writer, I write about travel a lot. What in the world can you do when all restaurants are closed? There's no there's no place in the world right now for fine dining, you can't travel. And I've always been one to highlight POC minorities, um, the underdog in my work as often as I can. It was never so blatant because I didn't want it to be like, oh, I'm singling out this person for what makes them different and what makes them a minority, but rather I'm trying to let their voice shine. So you can see that across my work in Michelin Guide, predominantly I feature people of color, women and minorities. And even across my other work, I've, I've always thought that out. It's, and it's more of you know, you want to see in a chef or an article, you want to see a bit of yourself in who you're also covering, as perhaps narcissistic as that sounds. But I think it it just relates to empathy and wanting to feel connected and seen. And that's really when coronavirus hit, the majority of my coverage turned to back of house and covering undocumented workers. I my first piece for Zagat actually covered. La Morada, which is in the Bronx, it's run by an undocumented family's Oaxacan restaurant, crazy great moles, incredible mole that's I've had outside of Oaxaca. Another story that I'm currently writing for Life and Time also focuses on the journey of another undocumented worker, this time from El Salvador, and how he came from El Salvador and became the chef de cuisine of one of the West Village's most popular restaurants. So, you know, wow, it really, it really did make, it really did give me a reality check, because I don't know if most folks know, I'm, I'm originally from Panama City, Panama, I'm an immigrant, I was fortunate to get my citizenship when I was, I don't know, like 12 years old. But you know, I think about it now, you know, back of house and also undocumented immigrants are the backbone of the restaurant industry, where, where would this industry be Mm -hmm. without them? Who would we be without them? And it made me think, man, I was, I could have been born you know, I could be in this country undocumented. What if, what if I was just born in a different situation? It's pure dumb luck that I got my citizenship. So never want to take that for granted. So I really made it an effort in my work to, to give a voice to the voiceless, um, however much I could.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that's, I think that'd be a good first starting point to get into, um, a little background on, I guess, a little context to bring up this point. Um, so when I started out in culinary school, I really didn't know who anyone was in terms of um, Michelin dining, you know, coming from Buffalo, New York. I didn't even know who Thomas Keller was. To me, Olive Garden was Mm -hmm. the highest of culinary temples you could go to. Um, (laughs) And so when I got to the CIA, it uh, really opened my eyes to a lot. Um, And for like the first two and a half years, I was that uh, student, that chef that, you know, I'm going to have three Michelin stars, I'm going to stage, I'm going to go... you know, travel to Noma, I'm going to go to the French Laundry, this, that, and, um, you know, just, you know, just this really, uh, career path based on the Michelin guide rating. And one day I was cooking, um, and I realized that your that whole career path is really based on this politically charged restaurant rating system. Um, you know, if Mm -hmm. you looked at any other industry, um, I don't know, say for example, Let's say you go, you get into be a lawyer, and you know yeah. you wanted to go and have a very successful career in law, and your whole goal in that career was to go be told by one rating system that you were good. I mean that would be kind of insane. You know the goal should be to help people with justice or help represent people. And for me, what it means to be a cook or a chef or someone in food is to help in some way either cook for someone or bring the media food to someone. And so mm-hmm. when I realized that what, when I realized the flaw in my thinking, I and I started line cook thoughts. I started to put this out there, and a lot of people pushed back on it, and you know, saying that like the you know the grind to get to that is something so special. And when I started working in kitchens, and when I started to be able to meet more and more cooks, I realized that like for most of them, for most cooks, the Michelin Guide wasn't really like. Most cooks I met were were walking out the door and going to another job to support their family. Um, they mm-hmm. weren't really they weren't worried about the Michelin guy. They weren't worried about World's Fifty Best. And I realized that um, even in that, there's a there's an inherent privilege to being able to be worried about that. And there's nothing wrong with inspired with being or aspiring to be a Michelin starred chef. But I really wanted to focus on the reality with line cook thoughts that there's so much more out there and that most cooks aren't really able to. Even think about that because they're trying to just put food on the table, and so I'd love to hear your thoughts right. on that because I think it's amazing that you're writing for Michelin Guide, and I think what Michelin Guide does is great. I think chef should be highlighted when they give those experiences, but I just I would really like cooks to understand that it's not the only great thing you could do with your career.
1: Absolutely, and to to give it a little bit of a, a comparison for a writer, it's it's like a writer winning a James Beard Award or an IACP award, and a lot of writers really do work towards getting that honor, but just because you're starred, you're rated, reviewed, you have a blue little check mark next to your account on Instagram, it doesn't make your work any more or less valuable. It doesn't mean necessarily that you're better. What I personally think it means is that you had enough media savvy and connections to get to that place and again it's a lot of people are they're grinding they're working they don't have the privilege of necessarily seeking to attain these honors because while they're putting while they're putting food on a plate in front of me or another diner they're worried about how they're going to put a plate of food with their right hand to feed their family and i i feel very fortunate that i'm in a position where i can also be preoccupied about those things and there's like you said there's nothing wrong for wanting to get to the next level to attain it. I I think it it has something to do with uh, what my good friend, Chef Jordan Andino said about, you know, being a celebrity chef or getting on TV or getting an award, It's, it's luck. And luck is where preparation and opportunity meet. And I think that's what it means to necessarily, to get a star, to get an award. You need to be very, very prepared and then take advantage of that opportunity when it presents itself. Right yeah. now though, the rating systems are in flux. And even before coronavirus hit, I really did enjoy what Michelin Guide was doing in regards to the the ratings and giving stars to street food. They were becoming more and more egalitarian. You know, our rating system was spreading across more and more continents and different countries. And some people might Here at Michelin Guy for saying it's a hoity toity fine dining, but you also have to remember there's two other rating systems besides stars. There's also the Michelin plate and then there's the Michelin bib gourmand. And I would almost dare to say that most folks as a consumer are interested in plate restaurants and bib gourmands than they are stars because stars generally designate a type of dining that's a little bit more expensive, a little bit more out of reach for people, but having a plate or bib gourmand. It really opens up the world to both chefs, restaurants and diners because it's it's very egalitarian. And then when Michelin started putting stars on street food, it made it even more egalitarian in my mind. And it was also shining the light on this food is just as worthy as fine dining. Yeah.
0: So I I, mean, I, was, I,
1: I really appreciated that from from Michelin and I I still really appreciate that. But, you know, on the flip side they are the leader of the stars, you know. <laughs> World's 50 best is also kind of it's kind of like Coke Pepsi trying to come at Coke, you know, Coke doesn't talk about Pepsi because it doesn't need to, but, you know, Pepsi's trying to take, take a couple bites at Coke. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I appreciate what world 50 best is doing too. Like one of my, one of my good family friends, you know, he's a, he's a world Latin America's number 17 world 50 best restaurant. His name's Mario Castellon. And to me, it was a huge honor for my country to get recognized you know, in Latin America's world 50 best, especially someone that's a good family friend of mine. Um, so I also think being starred, you know, it's not just a personal thing. Like for me, it was a pride thing. Like it brought pride to me and like I had nothing necessarily to do with that. But um yeah. I don't think the stars have meaning, at least right now. Like what are the meaning of the stars in a world of coronavirus and in a pandemic? I think we need to fundamentally reshift what ratings look like in any capacity and not just Michelin stars but like a Yelp review the Mm. a a Yelp review should fundamentally change like if you're a customer and you're complaining about something at a restaurant you don't talk to the restaurant or the shelf the chefs themselves but you you're passive aggressive about it and write a Yelp review because the takeout was bad like uh, we're living in a different world where we need to approach each other with more grace
0: yeah no I definitely agree um yeah there's two points I mean you know going first off into like michelin and what they do i also agree like phoenix dim sum in chicago uh bib Gourmand, like one of my favorite restaurants uh when i was living there um and you know that's the thing like they're both like them, 50 best organizations that are really in a spot where they could where you know and they've been making these efforts to highlight more than just one type of cuisine or food but it's not just on them it's on what we what the general consumer or the general chef um puts like if no one was interested in what they were doing they would switch to something else so i also disagree with the notion that it's on like it's michelin's fault like you said like they do good things and it's not their Mm -hmm. fault for you know holding up one cuisine because they're doing it based off the interests of the cooks and the chefs and the people who are holding up that cuisine so there is some ownership and accountability um in terms of what we see in ratings and to go to your point of them not really meaning much you're totally right i mean i don't know what ratings look like in the future um even yelp ratings or whatever but for me like what i've been really like what i've had admiration for are the restaurants that that have been able to kind of transform themselves and also the cooks who have been able to mm-hmm. transform themselves i mean i'm seeing some of my peers right now um not to get off topic, but I'm seeing some peers make like getting brand and sponsorship deals because they went and started doing media on TikTok. I'm seeing peers start these yeah. businesses selling cookies, uh, uh, you know, selling, uh, pastries for black lives matter. Um, uh, just all these different things that I like people are really doing well. And the people that are not pivoting and that are just thinking that we're going to go back to normal and you're going to go back to that like Michelin star life. I worry about them and I, hope that they realize that it's not going to be the same and i don't know like with everything going on like you said like what's the what's like what is going to be the reason for someone who's
1: gonna
0: who's gonna go pursue that right now when there's a job that's gonna pay more that you know who like who knows what our economy is gonna look like it's it's very tough to i guess justify right now
1: Yeah. And, you know, to, to your point about what you said, your friend who's on TikTok and is getting sponsorship deals, it's a lot of, as, as you and I know me, me as a food writer, you as a chef, like we were chatting before, we didn't get into what we do for, for the money. We got into it Mm -hmm. for the love. If we did it for the money, then both of us would go be, you know, we'd be working in finance making a killing right now, but (laughs) that's, that's not what we wanted to do, but it's something that every Every media personality, every chef, every baker is also thinking of. And there's this huge surge to, quote, make it on Instagram or on social media because it comes with this financial incentive. You know, Mm -hmm. I I know it personally myself. You know, I'm, I'm thrilled to work with a lot of amazing brands and sponsors that I truly do believe in. And that really does support the, you know, part of my my income so to speak. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an integral part of how I do make my money. And that's why I also see like a lot of, a lot of, you know, the top celebrity chefs or top celebrity, anything that we see, you know, I, I gather to say, and maybe you could even speak more to it too, that the, a fraction of their income comes from actually running their restaurants. The biggest portion of their salary comes from brand sponsorship deals and placements. And I think that's, what's really attractive to a lot of because it's almost like a, it's a huge class disparity between like the, the rich and the poor. And I think perhaps like a lot of, you know, young writers and maybe young chefs see that and they aspire to, to be this type of celebrity chef and to, to make all this money. And it's just like, okay, well how do you get from point A to point B? Like how does that happen?
0: Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I, I've, since day one, I've made myself a resource and I don't, I, my podcast isn't the most highly produced. I, um you know it's very like i really like just do this for the love of doing the podcast and talking to interesting people like you like there's not really a financial incentive as of now um for the podcast but i've always been open with like cooks and saying like hey like i really think more cooks should make content the whole idea of talking to cooks Mm -hmm. will change the world is i really think more people in the food industry need to be making content based on the passions that they have or maybe a recipe their grandma taught them or whatever um and i've mm-hmm. had people reach out and utilize that me as a resource and i'm sure you know i hope more would reach out but like that's the thing like it's you it's no longer just gonna be okay to just be a cook and i'm not saying that in a negative way but like you're saying like it, the other thing i think that's important is the idea that cooks for so long have seen, like, have seen the want to make money is almost something that makes you feel like a sellout. And I, I really hate that type of, I guess, discussion as well. I think making money is vital. I think being able to support yourself and make money enough to have savings and invest in certain things that you want to do is important. And I know for me, there's certain things I want to do you know either build or support and that requires money like the the world does operate on that and so i think the conversation <laughs> yeah. which i think you're getting on is like you know not operates but like you need money in order to do something in order to build right. like you need certain some things. sort of capital yeah and i think it's important that cooks realize that cuz i feel like we've been in an industry for so long that has been so you know do as much as you can with as little pay and i think that's really hurting people right now and I don't know if you wanted to speak to that at all because you, like you said, you've diversified what you do and I admire you for that. I think it's, I think that's like your career model. If you could model your career is how more people need to be right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I knew that when I became a food writer, that I wasn't going to be able to make the quality of life living off of food writing alone, especially as a freelancer, being a lone wolf, you know, I, like we were chatting about before I, I compare myself freelance writers to the exploited back of house because we are offered no protections. There's no unions for us necessarily. We're not, we're 1089s, we're W2s and the beautiful eloquent pieces that we put in hours and hours of work that you see come out on these top websites, probably at best were $200 or maybe $500 and it's It's a content farm, and again we we really do it for the love of it, and for me, particularly as a food writer, I do it because for for the love of restaurants, for the love of chefs, for the love of foods, and for me, it was really important to be a storyteller you know my my byline having a byline is great, but my intention was never to necessarily be seen or recognized, but I did see the advantages of having a name within within the media and that's really, that's actually how my brand communications agency Do West came to fruition. I was fortunate enough to develop a reputation within food media and that's when chefs, restaurant groups, CPG and other, other companies within wellness, lifestyle travel started reaching out to me to ask me if I would consult for them. And I also have a background in web analytics within the healthcare industry. And before that, I was a business management consultant. So I do come from sexy corporate America, but there was a lot of tangible transferable skills that I used coupled with my background in food and media that led me to create this agency because there was a demand for what I could do and how I could do it. So I was able to marry my corporate America skills and my editorial food media skills to birth, in essence, this agency and I've been fortunate to work with a lot of amazing great clients. Um it's been great. And it's actually something that I never really talk about because most people see me as a food writer and they see me as a host and yes I'm both those things. But there's this other piece of the puzzle puzzle which is truly my financial bread and butter. Um and I couldn't I couldn't be alive without all three of those pieces. So you know it's it's also really incumbent I would say to chefs and now speaking directly as food media get to know a writer, get to know like folks within the food media. Like, I hate to say this, but you know, food media and restaurants scratch each other's back. They need us and we need you in, you know, in this either symbiotic relationship or Stockholm syndrome kind of way, however you want to look at it. You know, we both do need each other in order to operate and survive professionally. And then it's also on a personal level, you know, the best people I've met have come from the food industry as a positive blessing from the work that I do. So I I would suggest to chefs, like reach out to a writer, touch somebody, like make a friend on Instagram, you know, like share, share with media, you know, what you're doing because eventually it's going to catch someone's eye and someone's going to be like, wow, that's really great. Let me like pitch it upwards and, write about it and that's also really how you do propel yourself forward if you know you're in search of x y or z goal you know and you don't have to do that in order to succeed but gosh i'll tell you it's really helpful um yeah and you know you really have to advocate for yourself and yeah it takes i hate to brace you it's going to take so much more work like when you're out (laughs) there pitching yourself and trying to make connections like i'm constantly you know, meeting up with folks for coffee, I'm networking and I don't force myself to do it necessarily. Like I genuinely enjoy meeting new people and catching up and chatting with someone because, you know, it's, we're interested in similar things or I learn something new or I meet a great new person. You know, I can't say how, how wonderful it's been to be able to like meet people in, in this industry, but like, yeah, you know, cooks, people who are looking to diversify like make a friend with someone in the media you know like help each other because without each other and without talking to each other neither one of our industries is going to survive
0: yeah i agree and you know going you know into cooks and into back house um in terms of diversifying i mean like you know we were talking before about undocumented workers and the real struggle that they have because not you know not being not not getting paid fairly or being exploited in our industry it's a real issue and i hope with you know platforms and more awareness we're able to bring that to light but like like i you know i see a cook who's like michelin focused and then i see the cook who's really just trying to support his or her family and working those two jobs like you know if like the work ethic in and of itself is just so much greater for the person who's needing to go ahead and you know, support their family or whatnot. And, you know, going back to what you were saying with the Yelp reviews are kind of, I, I've just seen a lot of, um, a lot of people just write off service workers, not, you know, mm-hmm. not only in restaurants, but, uh, grocery stores, uh, whatever, you know, w- whatever is going on or w- whoever is being serviced. Like I've just seen a lot of negative guest interaction. And I think that, you know, there's a real lack of understanding of what these massive industries like what it takes, you know, I'll be, you know, Mm -hmm. look at farming, look at our food system. Like, and so, like you said, I really hope that in this time we're able to kind of shed some light onto the actual people in the industry and try to just share um, what it really takes to put food on a plate or get food from a farm or ring someone up at a grocery store because these workers are underappreciated and they're not thought of as, you know, the, they're just not thought of enough.
1: Yeah, I, and I've never been so humbled as whenever I speak to someone that works back of house because it's, it's straight up hard labor, particularly those who are undocumented. It's, you know, they don't have the luxury of being unemployed. They don't have the luxury of uh, even applying for unemployment. You know, it's, being an immigrant makes you hustle. There's, you know, you're always, always on the move trying to figure out like your next dollar, your next dime. And it really teaches you some backbreaking work ethic. And it's, it's really important to highlight that diversity within restaurants, but also within food media. You know, it's, food media has this weird, awesome power to affect change, but it all depends upon where we choose to shine that light and who we give the airtime to. And that's what I'm trying to do so hard with my work. But it's also it also means that I need to find an editor, or publication who will give me the opportunity to do so. So while my, my goals and intentions are to shine the light on these underdog voices, I'm also very cognizant that I have to take this desire and then take this structure and passion and then pitch it upward and fight, you know, fight for it to get heard, for it to get placed, to say, this is important, you guys, you know, like this, this matters. And most publications understand that it matters, but what I think most folks don't necessarily think of when they see a lack of coverage or a lack of diversity within food media is, food media is run by advertisers. It's it's SEO, it's clicks, it's open, it's time spent on page and I'm speaking, this is coming from my website analytics background. You know, a lot of, unfortunately, for better, worse than indifference, you know, media is an industry and they also have to take into account how much how much time and how much engagement will they be able to give to their advertisers who are generally the ones that are making the machine run. So it's, it's something mm-hmm. that you know, we need to take into consideration as media, whether we like it or not. So it's, for me, it's trying to find, okay, I, I have a voice that I think is really important and it would behoove the world to hear this person or to, to talk about this situation. So knowing that, how do I make sure that I can sell it to my editors or to my publication that also benefits them too, because, you know, they also have someone to answer to at the end of the day. And that's where we get in trouble within, you know, this discussion, as I'm sure you know, this discussion of diversity within food media, and there's a a lot of rust being being chipped off, which is great, because I've personally always said, at least regards to food critics, you know food critics are pale, male, and stale. They're archaic, you know, it's it's now been the land of the dinosaurs and I would 100% trust the opinion of someone off the street corner or like a couple, you know, people lining up in the neighborhood to a restaurant that maybe look like me than someone who I have no personal personal experience with or I can't see myself in their shoes because, you know, I'm not a white, male. So how much does a white male know about what I like? Are they an immigrant? Yeah. How how can I see myself in there? And how what do they know about me and my food choices? So I'm not necessarily trusting of the people who have been given this position of quote, authority. And that's really where the diversity needs to come from, not only from the, you know, the executive chef side of the house, but also from the food media side of the house, because There's a lot of also like underheard consumers who are also wondering like, okay, well the the whole world isn't a white male. So where do I fit into that? Um, And I think we're starting to finally make some changes where it really matters. We got a long way to go. Cliche as that sounds, but it's true. You know, it starts, it starts slowly. I wish it could change, you know, 180, but change, change is hard and change is slow and it's exhausting. Oh my God. Right. It's so exhausting. But like, You know, what you're doing, what I'm doing, hopefully we can just keep at it. Um, Because it's like, who gets to be heard is the biggest question. And who gets to be heard is dependent upon, you know, media shining the light. But again, that's why I say to, you know, to all these chefs, make a friend in the media because you're helping yourself get heard.
0: Yeah. No, I, you know, a couple of things, you know, with, in regards to like, who gets to get heard? Like the biggest one of the biggest inspirations for me right now is the crew over at Pass the Spatula. You know, group of mm-hmm. high school students doing this uh really magnificent magazine that's going to be highlighting chefs of color like that, like stuff like that, or maybe like a like I there's just so much that is that I try to share on the page that isn't just you know the general like foodie type vibe. Um right but you're definitely cuz it's it's inspiring to see what people are doing during this time. Um but you're definitely right though with getting hurt and I was listening to this uh podcast and they were talking about um online grocery shopping of all things. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about it was the head of Campbell's I believe and they were saying how Campbell's is seeing growth and obviously a big corporation um obviously m- you know bigger issues than just being a brand. But there was some truth in the fact that they said that people right now are going towards the brands they know. So, like, when they go on these apps or if, you say, for example, you go on DoorDash, you're probably most likely going to go towards that thing that you've been eating all your life or the name that stands out the most or the person that you just know more or the brand you know more than anyone else. And I think the same thing is going to happen with chefs. Like, I do think that every chef is going to have to advocate for themselves in a way of media, self-sponsorship, Uh, growing their you know brand uh, as you would say because people now if we're not going to be going out to eat as much and we're going to be ordering from restaurants online or the experience becomes more online and shifted away from walking in and going to meet the people there you're really going to need that name recognition or i don't know how it's going to you know work out for a chef so i really do agree with you on that
1: absolutely and it's for better or worse or indifferent i to, to echo myself from our earlier part of our conversation like i said it doesn't matter your work or your food is no more, it's no less valuable because it's not starred or you're not instagram verified however it's very helpful so you know if you have or even just a five- having a cool
0: instagram like even a, just having, like just having, a having cool an
1: interactive instagram, place if yeah, you have
0: like-
1: a five-star rating on yelp and a bazillion great reviews versus someone that doesn't it's It's human nature, it's also gestalt, it's a shortcut. It's like, okay, I have a finite amount of time to make a decision, so, and that's that's what rating systems are, you know? It's rating system versus the review. It's okay, you're a busy person, you wanna go figure out something good to eat. Okay, let me quickly hop online. All right, this place has a bazillion great ratings. I'm gonna go for that place. Maybe this other place that is, because they haven't advocated for themselves or, you know, don't have a large brand presence, they they could be just as good or better, but unfortunately they're not yeah. as highly rated. That, that's what gets lost. So it's, you know, it's your own personal media strategy as a chef, no matter where you fall upon the line is huge. And it does take time. And that's the issue that, you know, we have these days because who, who gets the privilege of time? Well, those that were maybe already privileged or came from a background of inherited wealth or have the type of savings to, to take the time to do this versus holding down two jobs to put food on you know their their family's place it's it's a privilege to have the time to do that and the resources and if you don't have the financial resources to brand yourself and to put the time into it then you know like I did when I was first starting out it came from my sleep I didn't sleep I worked and I mean I still work around the clock but it was like you know I'm going to sleep five hours so I can spend three hours working on myself and my brand in addition to just executing the work. Um, so it mm-hmm. it is a shame, yeah. you know, ratings, ratings do have a place of importance because they're, they're used as a, as a very functional tool. You know, when you are going to make a decision, you as a consumer don't have the time to pour over every review. And cross analyze the metadata analysis and talk to everyone, which is what I personally do because well that's my job. I'm a food writer. I talk to I I do meta analysis across many, many like different factors.
0: But the general I consumer see, data, I see you working. I see yeah. you on Instagram all the time. Like I <laughs> exactly. I think of myself as someone who does a lot, but like you seeing everything you do, like I, I'm like, how does she do it? Like and that's like I'm not saying I do the most, but that's rare for me to be like, <laughs> How is this person doing so much? But I see you interacting, and that's the biggest thing I'm trying to get. Like, I don't want to sound like negative, I don't want to sound harsh. It's not about like there's no judgment from coming from me. It's more so that it's this reality that people need money, people need a mm-hmm. market and brand their business or product. And the thing that is being if you go look like if I really like would advise people to look at other industries and how successful brands are working like they're the user interface is all about people feeling comfortable they're not going out like just think about like no one's going out no one's getting this connection people miss restaurants so like Mm -hmm. i see my peers who are with the cookie business with this nice packaging and these little cards you know handwritten like thank you so much for supporting us like that's a connection that's something that stays with someone. that's not just an oreo that's something more that makes them want to go back again and again. So it doesn't have to be expensive. It just it has to be meaningful and it has to have substance to it.
1: Absolutely. It's it's you're engaging with people. You're you're connecting, you're building rapport and it's a long game strategy. It's not overnight. I mean for some people it's overnight, but I think that's highly misleading and a little bit dangerous when you see these quote, overnight sensations. Most overnight sensations aren't. They've probably been putting in the grind for quite a long time and then you know, on the consumer facing or the outward facing sign, it looks like they just popped. And it, mm-hmm. it is really helpful in terms of, you know, you need to, to establish yourself as a brand because also getting, you know, getting back to the point of who gets heard, if you've established yourself online, or if you could point to things that you've done online, it really does help your cause of who gets heard in the media. And if you will come from an underrepresented group, that's hugely important, not only for yourself, but for, the rest of the people within who identify with you and I recognize that as a writer and so I proactively try to seek out those underrepresented voices those unbranded voices so to speak but it's Mm -hmm. you know it's almost even hard for me as food media to find them because again if you don't have a presence a digital presence the way we operate is online especially during this day and age where we can't just it, you know where it's quote you know it's dangerous to be outside it's dangerous to you know make a new friend in person so if if mm-hmm. i can't find you online but i i really am trying to seek you out then i'm not i'm not going to find you um you know it even yeah. if i no matter how hard i try or you know try to use my back channels to to find somebody so it, it's it's also really incumbent upon upon the voiceless almost to to try to create to create one so those who are seeking them, again, luck is where opportunity meets preparation to find you. And I've always made it a point to try to talk to back of house because it's well known, why don't food media ever talk to back of house? And again, there's almost been like, you know, there's been a wall, an actual physical wall the kitchen between us and you. We're always up in the dining room or whatever. And, you know, when we get presented or meet with a chef, it's, it's the chef with a name on, on the door. It's the chef with the title. You know, we never, we never are even given the opportunity to talk to back of house. So in that regard, too, it's also advocating yourself, not just online with a digital presence, but advocating for yourself within the kitchen, you know, and asking if, if you feel comfortable and if you can, like, Hey, chef, Hey, whoever, can I have an opportunity Mm. to talk to this media?
0: I mean, yeah, I think, um, you know, as someone who runs a page called Blind Cook Thoughts, I understand completely what you're saying. Um, how I get my submissions on the page is I have a I have a basic message that I try to send out as many followers as possible. Um, as we've grown, it's been more difficult to hit every follower. But mm-hmm. in the beginning, the goal was everyone that follows the page, I hope, is in the cooking industry and therefore I can share them in some way. So I'll send a message, hey, chef, um, it, would you mind sharing why you love cooking and also a photo of your food or business or whatever. Um, And I send that message. I've sent that message to thousands of cooks now. And the amount of cooks that haven't responded, like it's not a personal, I don't feel like offended, but I'm like, I have this platform and I'm trying to like get cooks to talk. And sometimes like, it's just, there's like I said, our industry has been so much inside this idea that cooks really don't have a voice. And I see it. I reach out to people and I'm giving them the platform to speak on, you know, to now ten thousand people on the Instagram page, and it's still tough because of the way we've built our industry. And so, I'm hoping with people like you, and hopefully with the projects I work on, we make it okay for these cooks to share their stories. Because it's not just on them that they, you know, that they feel like that. It's been institutionalized, and it's kind of how do we break? You have to, like you said, really approach them, and it, you have to go to them to get what their passions are out. And I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 a matter of being approachable and it's if it mm. being approachable was hard before being approachable is hella hard right now where it, like yeah. i said it's you can't meet new people you can't reach out and shake a hand like whatever i would do after every single lunch or dinner service no matter where i was no matter where i ate i would always go and i still do go visit the back of house and i thank the chef for my meal i introduce myself say who i am not necessarily what I do because I don't, you know, like, oh, hey, I'm Marisol, I'm a food writer, thanks so much for the meal. Like, nah, <laughs> like, hey, I'm Marisol, thanks so much for the, the the meal, it was delicious. Like, that's it, you know? And and again, it's hard for media to talk to the back of house because you guys are there busting your butt in the kitchen trying to, you know, no. make sure that you've got X amount of covers a night with turning tables. Like, you guys, you guys don't also have the time to chit chat. And then when you get off of your get off of your shift or when service ends, you you're very very tired. So it's I I get it. It's like oh yeah. gosh, I'm bone tired. What time do I have to work on my quote brand? <laughs> and I think that's where people what people kind of do you have the mm-hmm. message?
0: Yeah, like a media company, like you know, like exactly, it, it's a lot. And I don't I don't think down badly of people who don't like respond to you or me. It's just like the opportunity is there, but uh, obviously like. You know, if I got a random message and I was working two jobs and trying to support my family, the last thing I would have on my mind is submitting a quote on why I love cooking when maybe I'm burnt out and don't really want to share why I love cooking, you know? So. Yeah, because
1: maybe you really don't love cooking, right? Then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because
0: you're so burnt um, out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's a reality for many. So
1: yeah, and I think I think one a a big solution to that is you know making sure to have more media allies on your side that like will will take it upon themselves and take the time that you guys don't have to get to know you and to get to Mm -hmm. talk to you, and I really do feel like that that should definitely come from masthead because like I said, a freelance food writers we're kind of in the same boat, uh you know like long form investigative stories which I love working on don't really pay the bills again i do it for the love of it because i think your voices are important um so there's also a lot of structural change that needs to happen with within media to get your voices heard too because it's also we're also trying to figure out how to put food on our plates and okay if i'm spending 50 extra hours to try to talk to this person that's 50 hours i could have been spending like on a more sure thing that's going to get me paid um
0: You
1: know, that's where I
0: sacrifice my sleep. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, I would do a quick shout-out, you know, starting to write for them, but Chandra and Liz over at Plate Magazine have really uh, done a tremendous effort to switch their entire focus of the magazine into back-of-house cooks. Um, So really quick shout-out for them. They've been doing a really great job. Um, I do know you have some time constraints. I don't want to keep you too long. From talking to you, I'd love to have you back on a show on a show some point because there's so much say, I more say, like, I want to get to. <laughs> yeah, definitely, maybe part three even. But um, yeah, if you just wanted to big. share, uh, yeah, I think it would be good. I, I really like enjoyed our conversation. If you just wanted to share where people can find your work, where people can find you on your social media sites, um, just kind of a self promotion plug right now, and we'll have to yeah. continue at another time after that.
1: self promotion plug, but also you know. Sticking to what I said for chefs, for bakers, for at-home cooks, for someone that's, you know, trying to launch a business from their kitchen, I meant what I said about establishing a friend within food media. So please reach out to me, please follow me. I'm on Marisol M. Salazar on Instagram. On Twitter, I'm on, I'm at Marisol Salazar. So like, shoot me a DM, you know, send me a message, follow me, Uh, I would love to hear from you because i really mean what i said like make a friend within media you know and like let's let's meet people talking about like doing cool things making delicious things trying to make a difference and you know hopefully we can give you (laughs) the place and space to to be heard but you you gotta you gotta reach out and touch somebody and i was gonna end that you know like without reach out and touch me but like you know don't touch me (laughs) yes
0: definitely but definitely follow Um, me Yeah, her content is great, Um, and I think it's so cool. We didn't even get to talk about the cereal stuff yet. That'll be on the next episode. That's going to be a whole episode, Yes, it will be. Uh, Now that you've been on the show, I end all my interviews the same way, uh, now that you've been on the show, you're part of the Lion Cook Nation uh, group, a platform of chefs, cooks, bartenders, servers, people in the food industry looking to learn and grow with each other. Now that you are part of this community, what does that mean to you?
1: Honestly, it means that I get to know 10,000 more new voices and friends, and hopefully you'll give me the opportunity, and I'd be very humbled to do so, to get your voices heard. So it's it's really nice to be a part of a, a very humbling group, and I thank you, Ray, for that.
0: Yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll chat soon.
1: That's amazing. Chat soon. Have a good one.
0: Thank you you, right for that. So there you have it, the interview with Maricel Salazar. Once again, thank you all so much for listening. I hope everyone is doing well. hope everyone's staying safe. Feel free to reach out to Maricel if you have any questions or myself. And just remember that it's so important right now to be building yourself up in some way. I know it's tough, and I know it's easier said than done. And I know everyone's in different situations with different resources and whatnot, but I do think it's vital that we're building our own brand or at least our own identity in this kitchen because in the kitchen in the restaurant industry because it's important it's going to affect how you get customers and how you interact with people so good luck with everything going on feel free to reach out whenever if you ever need anything shared and i'll see you on the next episode